Well, welcome to part eight of our series, uh, Follow Me, on the parables that we find only in Luke's Gospel. And uh, I have found them to be extremely compelling, and I've been challenged to think about what it means to follow Jesus in this place and at this time. Uh, Today we conclude our series with actually two parables, the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge, and then the parable of uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I think these parables are actually fitting into our series because prayer is a crucial part of following Jesus. And if you've been challenged, as I have, to follow Jesus more intentionally and more earnestly, then these parables are an excellent finale. So let me begin in prayer. Thank you, Father, for for making yourself known to us, showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. And we ask now for you to teach us through your word, through these parables, so that we may follow Jesus this day and all the days until he returns. Amen. Uh, When Miriam and I got married, we moved to an area of Sydney that was uh, largely Islamic. Uh, We lived within walking distance of the largest mosque in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, And we very quickly understood that Muslims take prayer very seriously. Devout Muslims will will pray five times a day, pre-dawn, noon, afternoon, sunset, and again at night. And wherever they are or whatever they're doing, they would lay out their prayer mat facing Mecca, so northwest, I think, and they would bow down and pray. And at first it struck us as a little odd, um, but we very quickly um, got used to it. But I, I couldn't help but feel sorry for them asking, what, what good does it do? What good does it do? And I just wonder whether you've ever found yourself asking that question about your own prayer life. You wouldn't be alone. I know I have. What good does it do? Actually, even King David, for example, in, in Psalm 22 My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Or or, or Job, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. And so I suspect that we've all wrestled with thoughts such as these at one time or another. In fact, you may not actually describe your prayer life as particularly healthy now. And so... In these parables, Jesus has something to say to all of us. You'll have noticed that we're not always told the point of Jesus' parables, but actually here we are. Here in the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge, we are. We're told in verse 1 there of chapter 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So keep that in mind. That's the point of Jesus' parable here. If you have your Bibles open, um, that would be fantastic as we work through these 
these verses together. The parable itself is actually pretty straightforward. There are only two characters. Often parables only have two characters. The first is a judge, whom we meet there in verse 18, uh, in verse 2. And we're told he neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And actually, he characterizes himself this way in verse 4. Right? Think Judge Judy, okay, if you remember that show. It's justice with an attitude. And the judge here is callous and unflinching. Actually, in the way that he's portrayed, we're meant to recognize that he was unfit for this job. Judges in Israel were supposed to be God's representatives administering justice to those who most needed it. And so the judge in this parable is not a model judge. The second character is a widow. And in Bible times, widows were marginalized and powerless and therefore often vulnerable. Which is why this widow should have received special protection and care from the justice system. Now, we don't actually know the nature of her, um, of her protest. All we know is that she suffered some sort of injustice against an adversary, and she asks this judge for justice, and she had no means to bribe him, and she had no advocate to speak on her behalf. And yet she has one thing going for her, persistence. It is only because she asks, keeps asking, that she actually gets it. We read in verse 4 there, for some time he, this is the judge, he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now the word there translated attack me actually can also mean sort of to give one a, a black eye or to bruise or to wear down or to wear out. Paul actually uses it in the context of boxing elsewhere. To wear out or wear down is more likely what it means here. It's a test of wills and the widow persists and the judge gives up. He'll do whatever it takes just to get rid of her. Now, given that this is all about prayer, what's Jesus saying here? What is he saying? That we should sort of throw a tantrum until we get what we want? Or perhaps that God, like any earthly father, eventually tires of us asking and caves. Uh, I'm sure you remember that silly movie, and it is a silly movie, called Bruce Almighty, where uh, Bruce, Jim Carrey, is given divine powers for a day, which means answering many thousands of prayers, and so he computerizes them. But there's this sort of never-ending stream of requests. What a bunch of whiners, he says. And he gets tired of answering them, and so he answers yes to all. He sort of clicks the box, yes to all, answers them automatically. There you go, he says, now everybody is happy. Actually, it ends in rioting. But is that the picture that Jesus is painting? No. I need to be as clear as that. 
because this parable is a parable of contrasts. You are not a nameless widow, and God is not an unjust judge. And the message is not that when we pray, we bug God, and if we bug him enough, he will eventually and reluctantly respond. It is a how much more argument. If an evil and uncaring judge would yield to a poor widow's request, how much more will our Heavenly Father respond to his children who persistently cry out to him? So we we persist in prayer, not because we must convince him to listen and then compete for his attention, but because we know he is listening and he does care and he will answer. And why should uh, persistence make any difference? It's a good question. What does persistence imply? It implies faith, doesn't it? It implies that, that we trust God, not only to hear our prayers, but also that he has the will and the power to answer them. And the Bible is full of stories of God answering the prayers of his people. My favourite one actually happens in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 38. So if you have a Bible, flick with me to Isaiah chapter 38. This is incredible. In Isaiah chapter 38, we, we meet Hezekiah, king of Judah. And we meet him in prayer. So Isaiah chapter 38, just the first five or so verses. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I'll add 15 years to your life. And actually then in verse 6, and I'll deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. God hears and answers prayer and his answer may not always be what we hoped it would be it may be far greater than what we could even imagine he may sometimes answer no and he may oftentimes answer not yet I think I've found prayer hard sometimes because I've come to believe that God to be the unjust judge and not our Gracious Heavenly Father. But we cry out to him day and night, not because he does not listen, but precisely because he does. 
And so one, one writer laments, the tragedy in my life has not been unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. It does beg the question though, doesn't it? What if we have prayed and nothing has happened? It can hurt to hope, can't it? Well, we know because of the gospel that it's not unheard prayer. And actually, we know that it's not unanswered prayer. But when it is answered, not answered, in the way that we hoped it would be answered, it doesn't mean that God is not acting on your behalf. It doesn't mean that he isn't good all the time, but that he knows what we don't and that he sees what we can't. We may get a glimpse every now and then of his, of his handiwork, but it's only ever a glimpse. And it's also true to say that, that your story is an unfinished story. A no does not mean a no forever. And Jesus actually weaves a few of these themes together now in verses 6 through 8 where he says, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Remember what the widow asks for and receives justice? And notice what Jesus promises God will bring for his chosen, for his elect justice and actually the way that this parable ends helps us see that this cry of justice will be finally and fully answered when Jesus returns in Jesus God's kingdom has has broken through it's been inaugurated and we look forward to the day when it will be realized finally realized and fully realized and so the ending of this parable, the second half of verse 8 there. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Actually, it shifts the focus of the parable a little. And so the question is not, so whether, is, is not whether God will respond to our prayers, but whether we will respond to God and, his, and trust in his faithfulness to fulfill all he promises. And it's an unjust judge who cared nothing for widows actually in the end dispense justice, how much more will the righteous judge of all the earth, who is actually known as the defender of widows and orphans, do so? So Jesus held this parable to show us that we should always pray and never give up because God didn't give up on us and nor will he. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. The second parable is just as straightforward. Verses 9 and 10. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, we all know how this scene unfolds here, but it's important to recognise that actually, as Jesus introduced these two men... The Pharisee would have been seen and known as the good guy. Right? The Pharisee, they thought well of themselves, but they actually were also well thought of. 
They were highly respected. The tax collector, on the other hand, would have been seen as a bad guy, right? Tax collectors were traitors. They were Jews, but they worked for Rome. They worked for the enemy, and they're often accused of taking more than what was required and profiting, pocketing the, the profits. The Pharisee stands by himself, presumably so that he could stand apart from everyone else. And he prays this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Once again, notice the emphasis. This Pharisee was grateful to God for his own righteousness. He tips his hat to God, but then he sort of bows down to himself. One author writes this, he asks for nothing from God because he thinks he needs nothing. Seeking God's mercy and forgiveness seems unnecessary. From what follows, he has already made out the exam, graded it himself, and given himself an A+. The tax collector, on the other hand, stands at a distance. Not so as to stand apart from others, but because he thinks himself unworthy to draw near. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beats his breast and could only manage this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He is painfully aware of his own sin. And he asks God for mercy because mercy was the only thing that he dared ask for. I think this little poem puts it well. Two men went to pray, or rather say, one went to brag, the other to pray. One stands up close and treads on high where the other dare not send his eye. One nearer to the altar trod, the other to the altar's God. And Jesus finishes with a familiar tune. Notice the principle of reversal that we've come across again and again in Luke. You ready for this? Verse 14, I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Justified. To be justified is to be, to be declared righteous, to be set free from every sin. And of course, we know that this righteousness is revealed in the gospel, where God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if we're justified, the scriptures tell us we will also be glorified. And so this parable pictures the sort of spirit we ought to pray in, but it also points, it also points to who we are before God in Christ. There but for the grace of God go I. This is the only spirit in which we may accept the gospel to begin with and then to approach God. Because the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, not in the one who offers it. How comforting is that? What good does it do? Well, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. 
in the first parable, justice is promised. In the second, righteousness is granted. You are not the nameless widow. And God is not the unjust judge. And in Jesus, who is both priest and sacrifice, we have the confidence actually now to draw near before God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. You cannot follow Jesus and, and not pray. Jesus himself did it. And he says, come, follow me. And so in this series, we've been challenged to actually consider what it means to follow Jesus in our everyday lives. And we've been challenged on so many different fronts, haven't we? From what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, to what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. From what it means to be poor before God to what it means to be rich toward God. And we've now heard Jesus speak on prayer three times. Do you remember? The reluctant neighbour and now the persistent widow and the Pharisee and the tax collector. So let me end with this challenge. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare wheel? And I know at times for me, it's been but a spare wheel. And in those times, my life has gone off track. But if we're going to follow Jesus faithfully throughout our lives, prayer must be our steering wheel. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for these words of yours that you have preserved for our good. We thank you that you've taught us that we are not the nameless widows. We do have an advocate. And you are not the unjust judge. You will bring justice. And you will hear us and you will answer us. And we know all this because of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray as we continue to try and follow you each and every day that we would have prayer central to our lives. And I pray that you would teach us how to pray and, uh, and what to pray for even. And we pray this in your son's name.